listening to an episode from our Design Thinking Season, a series of conversations with people talking about their ideas and experiences with the design thinking process, universal design and inclusive design. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. And I'm Keen. And today we're talking with Tina Lowe, UCD Campus Accessibility Officer. You're very welcome to the podcast, Tina. Thanks very much. So to start off, uh, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay. I work in the Access and Lifelong Learning Centre in UCD. I've been working there since 2008. I work as Campus Accessibility Officer, which means that I'm trying to make UCD accessible for everybody to use. So as in making the buildings accessible, information services and creating awareness about people who have differences. So that's what I work at. I was a mature student in UCD. I was here in 1997 to 2002, and I did uh, my undergraduate and then a master's in equality studies. So I've um, been here quite a while. So that, that's my background. I lost my sight in my late 20s. And I was also telling Jeffrey that, because um, he was asking me about my guide dog, that it took me three years at least before I could put my name down to get a guide dog because I was afraid of dogs so so now I have a giant dog so anyway so that's that's my background so my life changed hugely and I had to relearn and start again um without my sight so so uh what designs in the world end up creating inequality well I suppose the whole thing about life is um and it supposedly dates back to Leonardo da Vinci's man the design shape that everyone is supposed to be the same size, same shape, have the same need, same standards. So I suppose the whole thing about life is that when buildings are built or the design environment is created, when people are doing that work, they need to consult with the people who are actually going to use the spaces because not everything is the same. So unfortunately, buildings are not always built in an accessible format because they don't consult with the people who are going to have to try and get into those buildings who have different needs, you know, including elderly or people who use boogies or people who have temporarily broken their leg or, you know, that we don't all have the same needs or we're not all the same size. So um, I think that's, they're the kind of things that happen, but also the whole thing about accessibility is, you know, that it's all relatively new as in, the way we think about building or, you know, designing our buildings. Like in, in the past, people who, who had disabilities didn't go to mainstream. They didn't go to campus, like universities, like UCD. They were in institutions. So people weren't aware of creating buildings that were going to make things accessible. So I think a lot of it is to do with the historical way we think about life. And so nowadays, what makes life difficult would be, for example, if you get on a dark, and they don't announce stops, which is very common. And also because the dart line was placed in a Victorian line, the actual gaps between the doors and the platforms still exist. And that's not the fault of the dart. It's because the line was built in whenever Victorian times were and, you know, wasn't designed to fit a dart. So they're the kind of things that make life difficult. And then maybe if you go somewhere like... Um, say to a very trendy nightclub and um, when you walk up there's lots of steps down into this vast building 
So that's difficult for some people. So they're, they're the kind of things. So I suppose the whole thing about life is, thankfully, things have changed hugely for the, for the better. And like say, Dublin Bus, very good example of really good accessible fleet and very uh, good drivers that are do awareness training. So like I find going on the bus much easier now than say trying to get a train or they're the kind of things that make life difficult. So. Yeah, you talked a little bit about how designs can create inequality. And as someone with visual impairment, is dealing with this design inequality something you experience on a daily basis? Yeah, I can do. But like that, I suppose that's that's why I, I chose to work in this area, because I think it's something that can be improved and changed quite quickly. And it's amazing. Like if you look at this campus in UCD, it was built originally in, well, the main part would have been in the 1960s. So where the Newman building is and the library building, that area, the Tierney building. And it was built then because that was the, the architect's design. It was, it was also fashionable and they placed loads of steps there because that apparently was based on in, um, in Paris in the Sorbonne when students were revolutionaries and rioters, right? They placed steps so that you couldn't kind of linger. So that's why they built those steps originally to stop people rioting, believe it or not. So that's what they say, but that was a design and it was a very probably, probably looked really advanced at the time and the geometric shapes. Unfortunately, that was built at a time when not many people went to college or university who had different needs. So um, that's one of the things. And you, so if you look at that area, like we've done a lot of changes there that have improved the access. But now if you look at brand new buildings in, on the campus, especially the, say, the student centre that won a lot of awards for accessibility. That's an amazing building. The Confucius building is amazing. And then the brand new Fulcrum Centre, which has just opened where the new residences are. That's like the most accessible building I've seen on this campus. And it has fantastic facilities, like in the main residence block, the kitchen area and the dining areas, say the laundrette, all those areas have been designed if you use a wheelchair. It's really well thought out. It's lovely and it's a nice, it's really nice when you go into a new building that has lovely automated doors that slide open and really nice space and a big area. And like it's it's state-of-the-art accessibility-wise, I'd say. And each time they build something new here, it improves. And that's kind of, they're the kind of things that make you very happy when you walk around. So. So in general, then, how accessible would you say the university campus is? Well, it's it's improving. Like the thing is, because it was built in, it's dated back to the late 17th century because it, it was a, like a, a giant area with period houses. And so there's some amazing architecture and really old listed buildings. And then even the School of Architecture, it always reminds me of them, kind of Harry Potter because it's a really old building but it was built in originally in the 17th century. So there's an awful lot of areas like that that are not going to be upgraded, but they'll be changed. You know, they might be used for, it could be even like a museum, but there's, the campus itself has improved. It's, it's starting to get much better for people. And the reason why we know, we, all, we, we know that now a lot more people come to the campus to study here who have uh, physical disabilities, and that's that's a good sign. 
because it means that the buildings are more accessible. But like, obviously there's an awful lot of buildings here which are built in a, lot, in a different time and they would be quite inaccessible. So the newer ones are much better. So I suppose it's, it's a big job, it's a huge campus. And I think the main thing is that the people we work with in the States are very keen to progress and to make the place accessible. Yeah, so I guess, can we talk a little bit more about how we could continue to improve these design inequalities? Um, so one of the principles we talk about in this class is that universal access is a universal requirement for all designs. Um, but how can we raise awareness of accessible design when the barriers that these people encounter are invisible to the majority of people? Well, I suppose the main thing is that you, when, whatever you, you study or do, you know, that you you promote it and you talk about it and you try to practice it by, you know, being aware of, of your surroundings and noticing when things are not accessible. The way, the way we do things, and I think the biggest thing in life is always if you get the buy-in from people. So they're the main, like your, your architects or your designers, your buildings people, they're the ones who you really have to show that by improving a campus and by making it accessible that you improve lots of things like you increase your population of people with diverse backgrounds you make more money because it's much more it's good business sense as well to include people um so i suppose you have to just keep showing people how much it matters to people when they can actually use things and i think the other thing is that you should always consult with the people who know much more than any of the architects. And I'm talking about, say, consulting with people who use wheelchairs or blind people or who, who re or people who are deaf, who know what they, you know, they know what it's like. They actually understand and they can show people much more than somebody who thinks they know more. You know, it, it often is, makes the big difference if you get somebody in to actually show you why it's so important to make something accessible. So. Uh, in a recent letter to the Irish Times on the 12th of February 2022, Susan Dennehy, whose teenage daughter is a wheelchair user, concludes that the charitable model of disability must be replaced by a rights-based model. Is that the solution and how can we make things better? Rights-based is always much better, obviously, because you're talking to the people themselves and you're, you're making sure that people are aware of legislation, of equality, of all the EU directives, you know, you're, and you're also trying to promote and make people be much more aware of their rights and everybody's rights. So, yeah, I think it's it, it would help hugely if people um, adhered to the legislation, because if you learn all this, then, you know, you're well able to be, you know, vocal and tell people and assert their rights for. I think everyone should should know the legislation and everywhere they go and what to do. And they should be aware of their rights because, you know, you always have to. Sometimes you have to fight and it can be very difficult, you know, and especially for things when parents are struggling. It can be a very difficult road. But I think if if you know your rights, you're halfway there. You know, uh, something you mentioned that I thought was interesting is that it's important to consult with like a group of people with diverse backgrounds when designing things. And I was just curious if you've seen UCD do this um, when they're designing. Yeah, because what, what we do is... Um, Say like when we started working in this campus accessibility, it was in 2010. And what we did is we hired the accessibility 
auditor. And then what she did was we gathered a group of staff and students who all had different disabilities to work with the auditor. And what she did was she appraised each building and then she came back each time to report back to this group to get their feedback. And then she brought each person around to separately, you know, to visit, to see the buildings and for them to tell her, you know, how, how it could be improved as well as her knowledge. We consulted all the time with the focus group and it worked really well. And we got, the great thing is when you do that, you get, you get a lot of good buy-in and very good will because you're getting the knowledge as well as you knowing how to do it if you're trained, you know, on paper. You get, you get people's actual, their lived experience. So it's very useful. So we did that. We, we always do that. What we do every time is, for example, we, we were down in um, the Smurfit campus, which is a beautiful space, but it's, it's obviously, again, that was built in originally in 18, I think it's 1798, something like that. So it's completely, you know, some of the buildings are magnificent, but they're, they're not very accessible, some of them. So we, what we did to start the audit down there is we've been working with a, a person who works on that campus anyway all the time, and she uses a wheelchair, but she also uses crutches. So she, she, know, she knows that camp, campus inside out. So we've done all our routes with her, with the auditor, and then they did it with me, with the guide dog, to see what it's like. So that's the way we approach it. So, yeah, we try to get people who know much more than we know because they know what it's like to try and get around. That's the approach we take. Uh, did your time as a UCD student help you in your role today as campus accessibility officer? Yeah, it probably did because it was funny when I was here, believe it or not, you, none of you probably even know what this is, but I had to use tape recorders. To, <laughs> you probably don't know that too. Do you know what a tape recorder is? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we, yeah, when I came here, I, I didn't learn Braille because it was too hard, right? And I felt I'm not learning bright because I was kind of like in a little bit of denial in the beginning. Like I'm not really blind. But um, so I had to use tapes. And that was really funny because because I couldn't use Braille, I never knew what was on each tape. And I had I got all my books from the library, the American Congress Library. And I used to get these box. I had my room was full of boxes. And so instead of me, I never I could I didn't have labels. So I had to root through each box every time to find it whatever I was on the chapter, you know? And it was really funny because I was like a mature student and I remember one of the days actually being chased down the corridor by one of the lecturers, giving out to me saying, where's the essay? Why didn't you read the book? And I said, because I haven't got my book read yet. Because what they had to do was read the books onto tape for the volunteers' reader service. That's why we had to do it. like wait for people to read your, whatever you were studying onto a tape and then you could read and study. So, yeah, it was very different. So, yeah, I probably learned how to cope with um, having to deal with a lot of the different things, like being a lot more, I would have been, I probably became more assertive because I had to be, because it was funny. It was actually kind of funny because I was a mature student as well. I kind of enjoyed it, getting given out to it. Like I thought it was hilarious. But also I kind of learned, what you, you learn how to navigate your environment so I would have probably had to learn a lot of coping strategies. And then I had a lot of very good help from students in especially social science and ag science. And they would read stuff for me and they would. So I got a lot of assistance. So I suppose I was learning how to 
cope um, in a new world, you know. And it was a lot different because we didn't have, actually, yeah, there was no internet. <laughs> no internet, no, no. Apple technology, I can't even remember. I think I had a phone. It was a Nokia. But it was a totally different way of life. And uh, you just had to get rely on people reading and putting it onto tape. And then I used my dictive phone a lot in the class. And I had to record lectures. And it was funny because at that time, you had to ask permission from lectures. But you still do, but can I record your lecture? And then now most of them did say yes, but some of them were a little bit, no, you can't. And I was like, well, look, I don't want to write your book for you. So, you know, so it was hard. You know, some of the things were, and then unfortunately, sometimes people think, oh, just because you have a disability, you have to be assertive. You don't. You just have to kind of learn how to negotiate and navigate through a different environment. And there's always loads of people, which is great, which are really helpful and will make that extra effort. And like for when I did Spanish and I had a, one of the lecturers said to me, he said, I think you should do Portuguese as well, because you do it every day and you learn it. And you'd be really good because you can speak Spanish and then you wouldn't have to do I can't remember, phonetics because that involved physiology and I couldn't do the biology I couldn't study that part of it so so I did Portuguese and it was a great idea because it was true it was it was day to day and I got a tutor and then I I actually won a I got a scholarship to study in Portugal for a month at the end of my degree which was really funny because when I got it I thought that when I got to Portugal to this university in Aviro that they'd be rolling out the red carpets, you know, because I'd got a scholarship, right? And when I got there, they were like, who are you? We've never had a blind person in our university. What are we supposed to do to? So life was very different. Yeah? So you had to, um, still is, like, I'm sure it's the same for everyone here, you know, can be very challenging. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to hear about your personal experiences. Uh, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to talk about today? Um, no, the only thing I'd say is that um, the best thing whenever, when you go anywhere or do anything is when people are approach you, you know, and are friendly and say, you know, don't walk past someone if you think, like I, I find nowadays it's funny, it's not always, but sometimes I'm, I'd, be, I'd call to someone and I don't, I always forget that most people are plugged in, you know, because they're going around with headphones. So that's very hard, like when people are not aware and they're obsessed with their mobile phones. You know, there are all the differences in life that make life sometimes difficult. But then having said that, uh, like yesterday, you know, I asked somebody to give me a hand and no problem at all. Like, so I think if you if you see anyone ever who looks like they need a bit of a help, I think try and reach out or, you know, to use that. I was going to say awful American expression, knowing that I'm sitting opposite somebody from, no offense, Jeffrey. No, but, it's okay. So, I was going to say reach out, you know. But, um, you know, I think um, I think that's the thing in life. Like, even if you're studying design thinking, try and be aware of your surroundings. And even though you might be plugged in most of the time with your headphones, which is fair enough, I know that's life and you're on your internet. And try to be more aware of your 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 surroundings and people. The way I've got on is by meeting a lot of amazing people who are who go that extra mile and teach and show you and help. And then they have a sense of humor and they sorry, my guide dog is making a lot of noise. But anyway, so so um 
that's that's what I would say to you that you know we're in the we're in we're in a world now where technology is all important, right? And that we most of us, including me, because I love my iPhone, spend spend my time looking at my iPhone. But try to be aware, you know, just be more aware of your people in general. And when when we were kids, this sounds like we're going back in time like the Waltons or something. But when we were, we would have always had to get up and give people seats on buses and <laughs> and all those things, you know, and, and have because we were we were kind of more afraid of authority, I think, then. But I think if people still have the basics, you know, to be friendly and be aware of, of each other more than your phone sometimes, I think that would help life. And that's my dog talking, so sorry about that. So. Uh, is there anything in UCD that you think needs to be improved from a, a, an accessibility point of view? Yeah, well, like the 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 thing is, um, yeah, a lot of the buildings, because of the, way, the age, like the building, you know, the main concourse, a lot of those buildings were built, obviously, in the 1960s. So they they needed a lot of upgrade. But they're, you know, they're, some of those things are quite difficult because they're giant buildings. And like I'm talking about, say, the Newman building, um, like that is an enormous, it would be a huge task to change it completely. But yeah, it works works like that would be ongoing. So there'd be, you know, and I, and I think the main thing is when they do build new areas that they're much more accessible. No, that's really good to hear that UCD has been making some imp- improvements recently. I think that's all the time we have today. So we'll wrap up there. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and experiences today. And we really appreciate you coming. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. The music used is Easer One Supernova from the Argofox label. See the description for links, credits, and license information. <laughs> <laughs>